You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I am going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to do a solo episode, and I am going to actually read you a recent message that I shared with a group of women from my church to just discuss this whole idea of stress during the holiday season. I know that it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of year, but I also know that many of us, myself included, tend to suffer from seasonal lows at this time of year. And so I want to address that and I want to kind of combine some science, some neuroscience with stress stress management strategies, also with some wisdom from the Bible with scripture. What does the Bible have to say about stress and how we can help manage our stress? This is not really a typical podcast episode for me. I've never done this before, but I did get the request to make this message a podcast episode. And who am I to deny that, right? Also, I had a break in guests and I needed to scramble and figure out what I was going to air for this week. So here we are. It is the most wonderful time of the year. My family and I, we are driving to Dallas to visit my parents and my sister and her kids. My brother's going to be in town, and I'm so, so excited about that. But also there's that last-minute scramble of, oh my gosh, I've got to pack the kids. I've got to pack myself. I have to make the cranberry salsa that I love to make. If you have not tried that, by the way, check it out on my Instagram or on my website. Cranberry salsa is the best. I love it. I make it every year, multiple times per year. And Even though my husband will tell you, and Richard, shout out to you, he helps out a ton around the house, probably more than most husbands. And this is true. I am a very scattered person and he keeps me steady, but I still always have this core belief that I'm doing things alone and that it's just me and nobody's out to save me except for me. And so I don't acknowledge the help that he does give me. So I do take on a lot of this stress. So when you think of the next two months, I would love for you to, in your head, picture which of these words resonate with you. Stressed, overwhelmed, fatigued, drained, discouraged, scattered, swamped. Do any of those words resonate with you? And when I say the next two months, it's really gosh, probably the next six weeks, but it's going to feel like a lot longer than that. We've got a lot going on. I want to hone in on the word swamped. I don't know about you, but starting now for me this week on into December and lasting until the holidays and maybe a little bit after January 1st, because then I got to figure out what to do with the tree and the decorations. I feel swamped. I feel like I have so much to do. I am a mom of three. I'm still in the season of keeping up with two elementary school party schedules. We've got sports games that have we've ramped down one sport. We're ramping up into another. I'm homeschooling three days a week. And then we have the breaks when my kids are just home and I got to figure out what to do with them then. And then one of my kids has a birthday in December. Worst planning ever on our part as parents because we've got to figure out presents for that and Christmas. And then my oldest child, Isabel, I love her, but she works at Studio Movie Girl and lives at home and goes to college. And her schedule is so different from the rest of us. Sometimes she's coming home at two in the morning and that leaves me kind of in this alert state, you know, waiting to hear the door turn. Is she going to be okay? Or is she going to get a flat tire? Which I will say the one time I turned my phone off, she did get a flat tire, but she got help like we all did back in the day before we had phones. So then we have my husband and I, we we have parties that we would like to schedule in, time with friends. We've got, 
We've got family we want to see, like I mentioned before. We want to get our own quality time. We've got date nights that we want to do because that's how we like to celebrate. And I'm working on my first book manuscript, which is due in February. I'm wanting to get test readers for that. I've got to work on that. And also, again, this time of year, when it when the days get shorter and it gets darker earlier and it gets colder, it can really impact my mood in a negative way. And sometimes I just want to shut down and lock myself away from all of it. Okay, so I say that deep breath. I know I'm not alone in all of this. We are all swamped and we can make it a game and we could just go around and talk about, you know, who's the more stressed. And then we've got some of you that are like how I used to be (laughs) and you're going, oh, I'm not that stressed. It's not that bad, but your body is telling you a different story. We'll get into that in a minute. So I want you to think again, about one thing in your life that is causing you to feel swamped right now. What is the thing that you feel like is draining your energy at the end of this podcast? I really do want you to go home or sit in your car and make a list of the things that are draining for you, because I think sometimes it's helpful to visualize it. But I'd love for you to just think about what is making you feel swamped right now. And now I'm going to share a little bit of a story of where the Bible and Jesus factors into all of this. And I'm going to read from Mark 4, 35 through 40. I'm actually reading from the NIV version. And this is how it goes. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. That's why I'm reading the NIV. I love that word there. It was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And my 2023 edition on that last line would be, brah, I get that all the time in my house. I don't know if you do, but I'm pretty sure that's what he would have added in 2023. So at first glance at that passage, there are a few things that stand out to me. And the first thing that stands out is at the very beginning, it starts with that day when evening came. So of course, I want to look at what happened before that. What was going on in that day? If you look at the beginning of Mark 4, it starts with Jesus teaching by the sea earlier in the day in the same boat. He's telling parables, one of which I know that you will likely remember. It's the parable of the sower. In verse 18, he says, The seeds sown among thorns are like those who hear the word, but the worries of of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things to come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So it makes me wonder if when he asked the disciples during the storm, do you still have no faith? If he's referring back to what he just told them earlier that day, like I just finished explaining this, you hear me, but you're still so consumed by your worries that you don't see me. Ugh. Who relates to that? I really relate to that right there. The other thing that stands out to me in this passage is the storm itself. And this is why I chose that NIV translation. In verse 37, it says, the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. There's that word again. The disciples were swamped. And Jesus, after a very long day of being emotionally, spiritually, and physically engaged with everyone I can imagine, was rightfully sleeping. For the disciples, the storm was a very real threat to their lives. They thought they were going to drown. And Jesus was right there again, where they could see him. Don't we know this feeling? 
So this is really important. Your body and brain don't know the difference between a real threat or a perceived threat. Your brain doesn't care whether it's an actual storm that's going to take out your life or the storm of this season with the stressful schedule and the planning and the shopping and the overwhelm of everything. Even a good stress impacts your physiology. So let's get nerdy for a minute. Let's talk about the HPA axis. I know I've had lots of different guests talk about stress and the impact on health before, but I want to talk about just the basics because it really does display our design so well. And it can really help us make sense of our very real reactions to stress, especially this time of year. So the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, that's HPA, it starts in the brain in response to a real or a perceived threat. The body releases stress hormones like cortisol to sound the alarm and get blood pumping faster, get the heart rate up, alter digestion and blood sugar, mess with the thyroid a little bit, and then impact reproductive hormones and even the immune system. At the brain level, when stress goes on too long, too many threats happening at once, it can lead to an overactive amygdala. That's the emotional response center of the brain. The amygdala then hits the panic button, leading to hypervigilance and anxiety and that jumpy feeling we tend to get, creating more stress. Well, more stress hinders the growth of new neurons in the hippocampus. That impacts learning and memory. Hello, mom brain, that is real. But most importantly, that prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that develops last, it fails to connect. It is offline. That means that it's hard to focus, make decisions, control impulses, and even show empathy to others. And if you're wondering where neurotransmitters like serotonin, that's our happy chemical, it's our happy neurotransmitter, where does that play a role in all of this? Well, remember how I said that your digestion gets altered? Well, if your body is depleted of nutrients that are needed to create those feel-good chemicals in your brain, you're not getting those signals that you're happy and safe. The chemicals get thrown out of whack, and then we experience all kinds of mood disruptions at an even more extreme level, all because of a perceived threat. So if you're starting to feel your stress levels creep up just learning that, I'm with you. There's a lot going on in our bodies and brains at all times in response to just the regular life stuff. Now, if you drifted off during that explanation and your mind kind of faded away or you're pulling into the drive-thru and you turned me down for a second, that's okay. Here's what I want you to hear, okay? This is what I want you to get. God designed you with an internal alert system that is highly functioning, highly protective, and highly sensitive to your thoughts. He created this system on purpose to work on a loop so that your cells respond to your thoughts and your thoughts respond back to your cells. Your body and brain are intricately connected and sensitive to each other's signals. This is a good thing. This is a human thing. And a way that I like to share this is my with a story from my daughter, Isabel. As I mentioned, she's 19. She's a great kid, always has been. She's always been a very easy kid. When she'd get into trouble, you know, she would apologize. We'd move on, no problem. She's really chill, great kid. So imagine my surprise when in third grade, I received a phone call to go to her school and meet up with the principal. During that meeting, I learned that at some point in class that day, in momentary frustration with another classmate, Isabel threatened, I'm going to cut your head off. Well, Public schools do not take that kind of threat lightly. It took a considerable amount of time talking to the principal and then getting an apology from Isabel to make sure that they understood she blurted that out in a fit of frustration and didn't actually mean anything 
any harm from it, right? But haven't you done that before? Haven't we all done that before? You snap at a family member, a spouse, a child, or a good friend. And then minutes later, you're like, oh my gosh, why did I let myself snap like that? Well, that was your overwhelmed amygdala blocking out any action on the part of the prefrontal cortex. We see this a lot these days with politicians, on social media. It happens in ministry. None of us are immune to the impact of chronic stress on the brain. And I even think that this is a lot of what Paul refers to in Romans 7 when he's like, ah, oh, the things that I don't want to do that I keep on, I keep on doing them. And I don't know why. And I, I do think that when he talks about living walking in the spirit and or living out of the flesh i think that when we walk in the spirit this is where we can kind of hijack that system and we have that ability to access our prefrontal cortex but i'm not going to get into too much more about that i just want you to understand that our brain and body are connected so what are we going to do with that information especially in light of the story that i'm giving you from mark Well, I want to give you three reminders to handling the overwhelm of everything. This is where I I love using the Bible because it is my guidebook. It is what I live by and it is what informs me. But this is where the Bible meets science, meets my coaching method. I want you to have some takeaways you can take comfort from. I want you to have some resources. So I'm going to share some takeaways. I'm going to give you some resources and then we're going to be done with this episode. So number one, Jesus is in the boat with you. Going back to that story in Mark 4. But before you think I'm going to start speaking Christianese, like, well, guys, he's just there with you. Moving on. Just remember that. No, I want you to think about the the context and think about what's happening in that story. He was there with the disciples too. And so, well, theoretically, they should have been fine. Why didn't they just have enough faith? Why didn't they believe in his power more? No, he was right there and they still felt anxiety and they still felt overwhelmed. They still felt terrified. They still felt swamped. This feels like a giant contradiction, but those of us who are believers and who do believe in the power of God's healing power, those of us who struggled with our mental health for most of our lives, especially those of us who got the diagnoses and the meds and the therapy as party favors, we understand this contradiction on a deeply painful level. When I was first struggling with my depression as a young teenager, I thought I was a bad Christian. I thought I needed to pray harder. I thought I didn't have enough faith. I remember sitting in church during prayer time, offering time, listening to that 90s worship song, All in All. If anybody remembers that, I'm not going to start singing it. I remember trying to pray, but just feeling stuck. Everyone else was praying. How could he hear me? Did he really get it? Did he really see what I was struggling with? It must be a sin issue. Why couldn't he fix me? I was doing all the things to get better, but I still couldn't get healed. Looking back, I can see how the Lord brought people and situations in my path right when I needed it. One example that comes to mind is my church's women's ministry. In college, I took a semester off because my moods were unstable and we couldn't get the right medication going back and forth. And I just felt so alone and so discouraged by all of it. I joined a Bible study being offered at that time with my women's group at church. And all of the women were older than me, probably by at least, I don't know, 20, 30 years or so. But they brought me encouragement and safety, even when they didn't know the chaos I was going through mentally. Later, when I found myself pregnant with my daughter, I was single. I wasn't married. I was a preacher's daughter. I found myself pregnant with Isabel my senior year in college. And before anyone knew, I joined another Bible study, this time on prayer, because I knew I needed it. And wouldn't you know that, again, I was the youngest one by about 30 years. The woman who led this Bible study, she passed away probably 10 or so years ago. And... I just remember the morning that I revealed 
to the women in this group about my pregnancy, I was met with nothing but care and compassion. Those women, women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, they threw me a huge baby shower. They they showered me with grace. They showered me with diapers and they showered me with their love. And that was so meaningful to me because I know so many people have been burned by the church and burned by people in the church. But I'm telling you, there are still good people out there and there are still people who are truly living out Jesus's example. These women who ministered to me, they were living, breathing examples of Jesus being in the boat with me when I was terrified multiple times, when I felt helpless, when I felt alone, when I felt that nobody would ever understand me. These women and various people throughout my life joined me in the boat. And so I want to remind you that Jesus is in the boat with you anyway. Even if you think he's sleeping on the job, even if you think he's left you, even if your brain is so foggy from being overwhelmed, you don't even know how to pray. He's there and he knows. And I know that he knows because the second takeaway is that he felt swamped too. And that's in the Bible. Luke 22 tells us that he withdrew to pray, as was his custom, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this prayer was filled with so much weight. This time he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And verse 44 tells us, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's really funny to me, you you guys know how nerdy I am, that physician Luke is the one who mentions this phenomenon. It's called hematohydrosis. And of course, I had to look it up in PubMed, right? Like I do. And this is real fascinating because this rare condition happens after extreme stress. It is very rare, but it does happen under extreme stress. And I love knowing that Jesus's body, even though he was fully God and fully human, which I will never understand or grasp, his body was responding to his brain's alert system, just like ours does. I grew up thinking more about the spiritual distress that he took on for people, this potential separation from God and the suffering, but I didn't really dwell on the physical and mental anguish he suffered and how connected they were. But if you've recently experienced grief or if this, or if grief is something consuming you during this holiday season, which I know for many of you it is, you know that this is true, that grief impacts your whole body. Depression impacts your whole body. Anxiety impacts your whole body. And when you're grieving, your taste buds change, your energy levels shift. You might even view the world from outside a sealed off window. You go from sorrow to anger to rationalizing your pain to total shutdown. I hope you can take comfort that Jesus experienced this too. In Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He has experienced a human experience too. He knows where we are weak and struggling, and he can help us when we need it. I know that it is so hard to actually feel that and experience it when the storm is hitting, when you're having a panic attack, when your anxiety is taking over. So I want to share a practical strategy that I like to use to take my thoughts captive and rewire my brain when the storm is raging in my mind. I've probably shared this before, but it's been a really long time. So this is an acronym and the acronym is the word OWN, O-W-N, and the O in the acronym stands for OBSERVE. 
When you have a stressful thought, when you are feeling anxious, when your brain is going a thousand different directions, observe your thought without judgment and observe your physical response. Are you tensing up? Are you spiraling from one worst case scenario to another mentally? But physically, are you feeling tense? Do you feel that pressure inside your chest? Maybe a lump in your throat. What's happening to your physical body? Do you feel it in your fingers buzzing? Step outside of yourself and notice that. Name what's going on for you. And you could make a statement like, well, that's interesting. I, I want to punch through a wall right now. Hmm, interesting. Or I feel like I want to binge on a bag of Oreos. That's interesting. Or how interesting that I keep snapping at my kids and my husband. Wonder what that's about. Don't judge yourself. Just observe what is going on, that there is a pattern that's happening and you are noticing you are observing it. The W stands for what? Ask yourself, what is causing you to feel this way? Are you hurting? Are you lonely? Are you sad? Are you disappointed? Are you overwhelmed? Are you stressed? What's at the root of this stressful or anxious thought for you? And then why? The other part of the W is why are you feeling this? What is the core belief behind this? Maybe you feel worthless. Maybe you don't feel valuable, not loved. Maybe you feel like you have no control. I know for me, I feel that a lot and it definitely comes up sideways in my thoughts and in my interactions with other people. And then the N, this is key. This is where the rewiring happens. N stands for negate. Negate your thought with truth. Fight back with a scripture verse that encourages you or even a statement like, I'm doing the best I can with what I have right now. That statement has gotten me through a lot. Or I'm living my purpose. Or God has given me everything I need to do what I need to do. Say it out loud to yourself. There's an app called Think Up. Just the word think and then up, UP, it, it can actually help you record your own voice speaking truth to yourself. I've used it to memorize Bible verses, but it can be helpful when you need just reminders of positive things in your brain real time from you. So now that we know that Jesus is in the boat, even when we feel like we're drowning, and we know that he's been where we are, that leads to number three. The number three takeaway is instead of looking at the storm in fear and panic, look to the one who calms it in stillness and with hope. Anxiety and fear are natural alerts we all receive. My last episode with Dr. Ross Marin made it very clear that a lot of times we're experiencing low-grade anxiety, but that makes us anxious because it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to feel anxiety. What does this mean? Does this mean that I'm actually an anxious person? Do I have an anxiety disorder? No, it's, it's human to feel stress. This is part of the fear alert system. And even going back to that example in the garden, Jesus felt stressed to the point where he was sweating blood but he was quiet. He was praying. He knew what to do when he was overwhelmed. He knew what resources were available to him. A lot of times we feel so caught up in the panic. We don't even know what resources we have available to us. But looking at his example, even that night in the boat, he was listening to his body cues after sleeping and sleeping after a long day of teaching. He listened to his body. He ate when he needed to eat. He knew to take time in prayer and solitude regularly, not just when things were chaotic. I was talking to somebody else the other day about this and just thinking about the fact that he didn't go on defense with prayer like we do. Like, oh no, things are bad. Now I need to pray. No, he. this was something that was regularly happening for him, providing space for his physical and mental and emotional needs instead of just operating on autopilot, which we so humanly do. We all do it. But God does have a purpose for our pain always. He doesn't waste to hurt. And he always provides the resources that we need exactly when we need them. So this is why I want you to make a list for yourself 
of the things that are draining for you right now. And that you can make a chart. You can do on the left side of the page, put things that are draining. And on the right side of the page, I want you to write things that are nourishing. I love the word nourishment because it means anything that brings us to health. It's used a lot in regards to food, of course, but I do believe that our primary nourishment comes from our heavenly father, our relationship with our creator, and everything else is secondary. Relationships can be nourishing to us too. Places we love to go, time in nature, moving our bodies, all of these things can be nourishing. These are things that bring us to health when times are chaotic. So what nourishes you might be different than what nourishes me. So I would love for you to make a list and when you have time, maybe make this a morning journaling activity. What's draining you right now? What's nourishing you? And then what's something that you can intentionally include this holiday season to help you manage your stress? One item of nourishment that we miss out on a lot in modern culture is stillness. We rarely take time for stillness just to breathe and actually meditate on God's word. Meditation has, you know, been used in many different ways. And we've talked about meditation on this podcast before and the benefits of even sitting in awe and wonder of something. But oftentimes I know for me growing up, my Bible reading or my Bible study is just another item on the checklist instead of something that I'm choosing to sit with, to ponder, to meditate, to think about, it is really, really hard to do. So I want to talk real fast about this concept of breath prayers. I love using breath prayers. This is something that I have been doing without realizing it for years since I started practicing yoga. And that's a whole other topic about why I practice yoga and how I do consider that to be an extremely worshipful experience to me because I'm breathing and I'm intentionally focusing on my relationship with my body and my my body's relationship with my creator it's very powerful for me but breath prayers are so great because when you breathe through your nose you're actually activating your prefrontal cortex and you're de- decreasing the overactivity of your amygdala I don't think it's a mistake that God breathed through Adam's nostrils when he made him nostril breathing is super powerful and breath prayers are so powerful because you can take a verse from scripture And you can breathe in on one part and breathe out on the other part. And so it becomes an act of breathing while you're praying. So this is actually, this is not a new thing. This is not my thing. This is something that has been happening in the in the world of religion for a very, very long time, and especially in the Christian religion for a long time as well. It just might be new to us in our modern snobbery of thinking that we have the right way of doing things. So Psalm 107, 28 through 29 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. I love that verse, that passage that happens in Psalms, which was written long before Mark 4 ever happened. But it's literally talking about somebody, them, whoever they are, crying to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivers them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. So the way you could turn that into a breath prayer is you can breathe in using the words, you calm the storms and breathe out, exhale through your mouth, hush the waves of the sea. So you can close your eyes and breathe in through your nose one half while you're thinking about one half and breathe out while you're thinking about the other half. And you can do this with any Psalm, with any verse, you can use this, um, there's a verse, oh gosh, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You could think, breathing in, inhaling through your nose, I cast all my anxiety on you. Breathe out, exhale through your mouth because you care for me. 
And that's powerful just to sit there and focus on those words, just those words to help your brain calm your body and your body is calming your brain with the breath. I think that's so powerful. The other thing you can do, here's another example, is the concept of be still and know. So many times we like to be active and do, right? <laughs> we are active and we are doing. And because we think we know it all, we think we know what we're supposed to do. But just imagine taking five minutes in your day to lay down, close your eyes and turning on a song that speaks to you, a worship song. Ask yourself to be loved by your father. We don't ask your father to show how he loves you. We don't do that. We don't partner with our bodies in that way to where we can be still. And we definitely don't sit and go, okay, God, show me that you love me. And we have so many beautiful songs that show that my very, one of my very favorite ones is the song. So will I, and it, it's been powerful to me in this practice for a long time where I just lay down. I used to do this in the sauna, actually, when I worked out at a gym that had a sauna. And I would put this on in the sauna and I would just breathe and I would focus on the words and I would just let God's love speak to me instead of, once again, me trying to go and do like, which is such the modern <laughs> Western society way of doing things. The other thing that I would encourage you to do that could be a resource during the season is choose a chapter or section of scripture to read every day for a week to truly meditate on it. Read it out loud, write down verses that resonate with you, copy the verses down multiple times. I love Romans 8 for this, Philippians 4, those are go-tos for me all the time. There's so much that you can get from those passages. So just choose one tiny little section and focus on that for a week instead of going, oh, got to read my Bible. And then you're blasting through it because it's another checklist item, right? Bonus challenges. Real fast, I'm almost done, but I love the concept of BBP. BBP stands for Bible Before Phone. Imagine if from now until January 1st, when you wake up in the morning, you open up your Bible before before you open up the apps on your phone, before you check your texts, before you check your check your email, you could be flooding your brain with truth and not panic first thing in the morning. So that's a challenge for you. The other challenge that I have for you to try before January 1st is to take breathing bre breaks, set a reminder on your phone, or if you got an Apple watch, I don't have one of those, but if, if you have whatever way you remind yourself to do things, set a reminder to take breathing breaks or even do some breath prayers during transition times. Like when you get in your car to go to a store, take a breathing break. When you get home and you're in your garage, take a breathing break, especially if you're about to go home to kids. <laughs> before you walk into a store, before you leave your house in the school pickup line, practice breathing during times of transition to let your body know that it's safe. Let your body know that there's no need to panic. We are going from one activity to another, just like humans have done for thousands of years, right? And the other challenge, so that's a breathing break challenge. The other challenge is... I call this the neurotransmitter support challenge. What would happen if for one week, for a whole week, every day, you choose to get 20 to 30 grams of protein in a meal, you have say five veggies a day, and you limit your sugary drinks, you limit the overly processed food items. This isn't about a diet, this isn't about what the number on the scale says, but this is really about firing up your brain. You can check in your, with your brain, see how you feel, see if you're sleeping better, 
are, do you have more mental clarity? A lot of times just protein and vegetables can do the trick. So 20 to 30 grams of protein at every meal and shoot for five vegetables a day. Just five different colors if you want to play the colors game. I do that a lot. Notice how you respond. And again, this isn't about judging yourself. This is about observing. So that is all that I have. I also have a free ebook download that I will put in the show notes. It is a guide to stress-busting nutrition. I would love for you to take a look at that. I also have some meditations that I've put together in an ebook, Seven Days to a Sound Mind. I will add that to the show notes. I want you to go into the holiday season without fear, without anxiety, but feeling calm and focused because you know that you are looking to the one who stills the storms, who calms the storms with a voice, his voice. And that is where our focus, I believe, should be during this holiday season. But we so quickly lose sight of that because we do tend to let the worries of this world make us lose our focus. And with that, I am completely finished. And you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week and wonderful holiday season. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze, and I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.